We are in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and so there's a, there's a, um, persecution is coming upon these people, uh, these Jews that are living around Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, they are in Judea, around Jerusalem, and they are thinking about going back into Judaism, and so we're going to pick back up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears." So he says in verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. God supplies sufficient grace for whatever we're going through. They were experiencing a persecution. He says God's grace is sufficient for that. Paul, in the midst of his persecutions, in the midst of his suffering, says he appealed to the Lord three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for whatever situation we go through. Whatever we're confronted with, His grace is sufficient. So if we think that our situation is special, Lord, what am I going to do? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Call upon it. Call upon my grace. Because if we don't, it says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. If we do not appropriate the grace of God what happens is we start becoming bitter. We start becoming bitter about life, bitter about our situation. And you will see how quickly the things that happen in our life can can show us our, our true selves. One day we can be rejoicing in the Lord and a day or two later just bitter and upset about life in general. How our thoughts betray us. How our thoughts show us make us think that we're something that we're really not, and then all of a sudden we see our weaknesses. Turn to uh, the book of Second Peter, the book of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Second Peter 3:17. <clears throat> and it says, Second Peter 3:17, "You know therefore beloved, you, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand, Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. He says, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Let me give you an example of the way I see young people being drawn astray. Is they, they come from, from a background, say in high school, where they know the Lord, and then they go to college, and they get exposed to intellectuals in the university who day after day push on them on, because of their Christian faith. And that can be an origin of life, or evolution, or philosophies about life, and it begins to wear them down. He says, be careful, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. 
So sometimes students will come up to me and they'll say, oh, this, this person was saying such and such about Christians. This professor was saying these things about Christians, how Christians are stupid and this and that. And, and I say, okay, well, why don't you ask that person, that professor, about their own life? Ask them if their grown children really like them. Ask them if their spouse that they married, their first spouse, still likes them. Ask them. What's wrong with that? This is exactly what we'd like to do. If they have all the answers, why aren't all people around them who know them flocking around them saying, oh, you're so wonderful. Why is that? Why is it that they can stand up and pontificate and speak about all these high and lofty things like they know better than the Word of God? These scriptures will outlast them. Long after we are all dead and gone, the Bible will remain and people will continue to study it and venerate it and look at it as the Word of God. This Word will remain. The Word from unprincipled men and unprincipled women will fade away. From generation to generation, they come and they go. It will fade away. Don't be drawn astray by unprincipled men, it says. So that you don't fall away from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. What did it say before? Don't forget about grace. Let no man fall short. Let no one fall short of the grace of God. Here it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. We need to grow in Him and in the knowledge of our Lord. We need to grow in Him and the knowledge of our Lord. This is what He has for us. To grow in Him and the knowledge of our Lord. He says that we are to grow in grace. In other words, God's grace is sufficient to keep us strong in these situations. God's grace is sufficient. You look at the unprincipled men. You look at their lives and it will testify what their principles bring about in their lives. Look at their lives. They're unprincipled men. Don't be drawn astray by these things. These truths, where it teaches us to deny ourselves, where it teaches us to serve God and our fellow human beings. This word is true. He calls us to walk in forgiveness. He calls us to walk in the light of His word. These are the principles that will stand. Don't let unprincipled men draw you astray. These truths are foundational. Are foundational. This is what He has for us. Turn to... Turn to uh, um, uh, to 1 Peter 5.8. So turn back from 2 Peter to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5.8 says, we'll pick it up in verse 6. 1 Peter 5.6 Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking someone to devour. So look what he says. He says, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You cast your anxiety upon him. Are you anxious? Have you all these things coming at you? I'll tell you, this will never go away. You will never be done. If it, if it happens in life, it happens at an older age than my age. Because I still have the anxieties of life coming at me. It says we are to cast our, our anxieties upon Him. Lord Jesus, come. And so He comes. 
And then what do you do? You take all your anxieties and you put it on His back. That's what it says. You are to take from yourself and you are to cast it upon Him. The Word of God tells us to do this. It tells us to do this. You cast your anxieties upon Him. Lord, You take this. Lord, You carry this. Then He says, Be of sober, sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So the devil is characterized as a roaring lion. So imagine if there were really a roaring lion outside your door. Would you say, no problem, I can handle this? No problem. I'll go out there and I know how to handle a lion. Look, a lion will shred anybody very, very quickly. It's over. But this is exactly how we will take on the world. Oh, I can handle this. I can handle this situation. I can handle what these professors might say. I can handle this. No problem for me. You are facing a roaring lion who is seeking to devour. He says, seeking someone to devour. You say, well, why doesn't he just devour people of the world? Why does he devour Christians? Because he's already got the people of the world. They're already his. He seeks those who belong to God. He wants to devour them. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to call upon God for grace. And so if you, you, you look down in verse 10 of that same portion, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of grace. Let no one fall short of the grace of God. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is abundant. Let no one fall short of the grace of God. So how do I, how do I appropriate that grace? How do I get that grace? How is it there? How do we achieve these things? How do we appropriate the grace that He has for us? Turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he says this. Philippians 4, 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's Paul speaking. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You practice these things. The things that we have seen characterized in the Scriptures. The things that we have learned and received and heard and seen. Paul says you practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. You practice the things of God and the peace of God will come. If you will do what the Scriptures say by meditating on the Word of God every day, every day, you will be blessed and you will stand strong. It says in Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But, he will, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And the result? And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. What does the Word of God say? If you meditate on the Word of God every day, you will prosper and you will not fall away. You take anyone, anyone, who has fallen away from the Lord, 
and you ask them, were you meditating on the Word of God every day? I guarantee you they say no. I wasn't. And so what happens? They throw off the shield of the Lord, the very thing that God says will give us a defense against the enemy, and they go out to take on that prowling lion by themselves, and they are consumed by a bunch of words from unprincipled men. If you will meditate on the Word of God, you will stand. If you will meditate on the Word of God, you will prosper. This is what it says. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You are never mature enough. Never mature enough. Don't think yourself such an intellectual that you cannot get on your knees before the Lord. If you think yourself so intellectual that getting on your knees is something below you, you are very wrong. Learn how to get on your knees before God and say, God, fill me, protect me, strengthen me, speak to me through the Word of God. Speak to me. Jesus got on His knees before God. In fact, if you look at any time, any time, there was any prayer offered by Jesus that mentions His physical position, He was either on His knees or on His face. Same thing for anyone in the Bible who was praying to God, except one time Solomon stood in the temple when he offered a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. That's the only instance in the Bible where men or women were speaking to God in prayer and were not either on their knees or on their face. Remember who we are before God. Walk humbly before God. And He will exalt you, the Scriptures say. Let no man fall short of the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient. The things that you have heard and learned and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You will bring peace upon your life. In the midst of suffering, you will bring peace upon your life. Alright, let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll read on. In verse... In verse 15, see to it that no one falls short, comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. If we find ourselves outside of the Word of God, very quickly we will begin to become bitter about things. Why is it like this? You know, why is the campus like this? Why are people like this? Why the, I mean, all of a sudden, something that we were so comfortable with, you get out of the Word of God and we start complaining about everything. This stinking car I have. I wish I had a better car. All of a sudden, everything becomes terrible. That root of bitterness comes in so easily. It happens to me all the time. And I know exactly what I need to do. I need to get into the Word of God. And I'll pick up Psalm 119 and just begin to nourish myself on the Word of God. You get through Psalm 119, which is going to take you some time. And you will be greatly blessed. You pick up the Word of God and you fill your life. Let me tell you another way. If you feel yourself drifting from the Lord, you get serious about the Lord and you fast and pray and spend time in the Scriptures while fasting. Fasting is not eating dinner, going to bed, and breaking fast with breakfast. That is not fasting. Fasting means you skip meals. That is fasting. 
You will not starve. I don't worry about that at all. I guarantee you, you will not starve. You spend some time fasting and praying, and it'll sharpen you up. In the midst of it, you won't be very comfortable. But when it is over, you will see that you will be sharpened right up. He says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. When you are bitter, you will bring all sorts of other people into your complaining and bitterness because complaining is contagious. Verse 16, that there be no immoral or godless person. The the NIV says no fornicator, sexually immoral. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Esau came in from the field. He was hungry. His brother was cooking some red lentils. Sometimes you come to our home, you'll see at Sunday meals, red lentils. Shireen makes those. This is what Esau sold his birthright over. Birthright meant that he would get twice as much as Jacob would in the inheritance. Twice as much as Jacob. That was his birthright. With his birthright, he also sold his blessing. He sought his blessing with tears. It wasn't Jacob who stole his blessing. He, He lost the blessing when he lost the birthright. With the birthright comes the blessing. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. He was hungry and he said, what good, what good is, is the, uh, what good is the birthright? I'm hungry. When we disdain the things that God has given us, when we start to disdain the things that God has given us, we become like Esau. God has given us grace. Let no one fall short of the grace of God. Let no one fall short of the grace of God. When we begin to disdain or look upon what God has given us without the blessing, understanding the blessing and the favor of it, we become like Esau. And we end up, you know where people end up in this? They end up in immorality. When we fail to appreciate what God has given us, fail to appropriate because His grace is sufficient. You do the things that He has told you, you practice these things, it will go well for you. You don't and you won't. You don't practice these things and it won't go well for you. It is a very simple formula. You practice the things that are laid out for us in Scripture. Daily Scripture meditation. And you will stand. You will have sufficient grace. You will fall short of the grace that God gives if you do not practice these things. And then he says, Who sold his birthright for a single meal? For you know that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. It wasn't that there was no avenue for repentance. He could find no place for it. He had gotten so far from God he couldn't turn and repent. Both the birth, when he sold his birthright, he lost the blessing as well. Jacob didn't steal it from him; he lost it when he when he, he when he disdained the blessing. I have seen this same sort of thing in men's lives. <clears throat> I've seen men drift away from the commandments of God, from the from the ordinances of the Lord, and they start doing their own thing and they think that they don't need the Word of God, they'll be all right. They go to church occasionally, they'll be just fine. And you know what happens? That devil, that one who's a roaring lion, has a field day with them. Picks them up and tosses them in the air and whips them all around. 
They end up in immorality. They end up losing their wife and losing their family. And then I see them in tears. And they come and they talk to me and they say, <clears throat> my life is such a mess. I've lost everything. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, this is exactly what the scriptures said would happen. Now, I don't tell them this, but I, that's what's going through my mind. It's exactly what happened. Esau lost everything, and he's with tears. And his tears don't get it back. It was irrevocable. In other words, you're not going to lose your salvation. That man is not going to lose his salvation. But the decisions that he made brought about changes in his life that are irrevocable. Esau never got the blessing back. These men never get their family back. The whole rest of their lives, they're trying to remend the relationship with their children. Their wives have gone off to some other relationship. It's lost. It's gone. And this is exactly what he's telling these Jews in Judea. You go back into Jerusalem, you are going to end up, you go back into, into Judaism, you're going to end up in Jerusalem, you're going to get killed in the 70 AD destruction. The decision will be irrevocable. You cannot come back to walk with Christ. You go into it, you'll not come back. You're not going to lose your salvation, but the decision will make it very hard for you such that it is now irrevocable because he found no place for repentance. He couldn't even bring himself to repent. This is the destruction that will come. Take heed. Take heed. There are many men, many women, that would have loved to have heard a message like this at your age, before they were married, before they blew it. Take heed to these things. Let's continue on in verse, verse uh, 18 of Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and to gloom and whirlwind and to a blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to a city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So, he says, he starts describing a situation. That's outlined actually in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the word of God, God told them, make sure nobody else ever touches this mountain while you're up there. Whoever touches this mountain will die. Even if an animal touches this mountain, they will die. And then they heard this lightning and this thunder. And they heard God speaking to Moses. And they said, they were so fearful, they said to Moses in, in, in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, they said to Moses, don't let God speak to us, it's too fearful. Let him speak to you, you come and speak to us. So much so that even, <clears throat> even Moses in Deuteronomy, in, 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 uh, later in, in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, Moses goes on to say exactly where, 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 this, where this is uh, uh, 
quoted from, I am full of fear and trembling. God says, you haven't come to a mountain like that. You haven't come to a place of fear like that. Jesus' blood has changed all of this. Let me tell you where you have come to. You have come to, to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. He is outlining for them a glimpse of heaven. You want to know what heaven looks like? You want to know where you're going when you leave this earth? This is a picture. Jesus gives us pictures of what heaven is going to look like. He gives us a picture. He gives us several pictures throughout the New Testament. He gives us pictures of what the New Testament looks like, what, 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 what heaven looks like. He says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels. You go to heaven, there's going to be tons of angels there. Whoa, look at that one. You're going to see myriads of angels around you. He says, you haven't come to this fiery mountain. Look at what Jesus has provided. Myriads of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You're going to see the church of the firstborn. The people that you knew in church are going to be there. It was, I remember you. Remember we were in that class together? Remember that? This is what it says. You're going to, you're going to be in the church. This is the church that's going to be there. He's giving us a picture of what heaven's like. He says, you don't come to a fiery mountain. And to God, judge of all, and the spirits of righteous men made perfect. He's going to take us and wash us clean by the blood of Jesus and make us perfect. Now we see through a glass dimly. Then we're going to see him face to face. And you're going to say, wow, you're different. The last time I knew you, you weren't such a good guy. But it says that he's going to make us perfect. And to Jesus, Jesus is going to be there. The mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel offered up the first sacrifice in history. He says Jesus' blood is the blood that's going to be there in heaven. It's because of his blood this happens. This is what he offers to us. Let no man fall short of the grace of God. Let no man fall short of it. So in verse in, in, in verse 25, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. What does He call us to do? Show gratitude. Imagine if you lost everything that you didn't give thanks for. Imagine in your life. All of a sudden, my backpack's gone. I forgot to give thanks. My calculator's gone. My bed's gone. I mean, imagine if you lost everything that you didn't give thanks for. He says, with gratitude, with gratitude, show gratitude. What is the way to receive what God has given? You show gratitude. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for my friends. Lord, thank you that I have a room. There's so many people who don't even have a room. Thank you, Lord, that I have a bed. 
Thank you, Lord, that you gave me health, that you give me air to breathe. You know, there's a lot of people who can't breathe. Thank you, Lord, you gave me eyes to see, ears to hear. So many people can't see, can't hear. You go through that list, just looking around your room, looking at yourself, that you have hands, that you have ten fingers, that you can do this. You do that for five minutes, your attitude will change. You just show some gratitude, some thanksgiving to God, your attitude changes. That root of bitterness starts to go away. When you, when you, when you show gratitude, he says, they heard it from Moses. And those who refused Moses were in big trouble. Imagine if you refuse God. So Lord, what do I do? He says, show gratitude. Show gratitude. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. When we show gratitude, this is reverence and awe. Because He's befriended us. We're not seeing shaking mountains anymore. So where's the awe? You show gratitude. He says, that'll be enough. You show gratitude. You will understand reverence and awe if you show gratitude. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for these young people in the name of Jesus and by the power of God that you drill a spirit of gratitude into their lives, that they would be thankful to you for what you've done in their lives, for what you've provided. Father, I pray that none of them will fall short of the grace of God and that they would not be led astray by unprincipled men who can't even get their own lives together. Father, I pray that you work in these young people's lives and you draw them close to Jesus Christ. Draw them close to you. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers that are here this day, that you would draw them close to Jesus. Father, that they would pray this very day with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I believe that you are Lord. And I believe that you have risen from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Father, that they would be saved this very day because salvation is our aim. For the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.